TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring. The flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Welcome to Overnight America. Brad Young sitting in tonight for Ryan Recker. I would love to tell you that he's vacationing, but you know where he is because you listen every night. You know where Ryan is. He's filling in tomorrow for uh, Annie Fry on the Annie Fry Show from noon to 3 tomorrow on our sister station, 97.1 FM. So if you want to hear Ryan in the afternoon, check him out on 97.1, filling in for Annie Fry from noon until 3. Oh, hey, speaking of FM, uh, for those in the St. Louis area, don't forget, Camel X is now on 98.7 FM simulcast. It's not like you got to pick between AM or FM. It's a simulcast, but if you're in... The St. Louis area, I've been listening to, to uh, 98.7. Uh, it sounds just as good as it does when I stream it at home. Sounds great. Uh, so you can check out uh, KMOX on the FM side of the dial. So make sure you do that. Um, happy April Fool's Day. Happy April Fool's Day. You know, I just it just occurred to me today when I was putting the show together, I wonder if Ryan asked me to fill in for him because it's April Fool's Day. I mean, I don't know if there's any connection there. I have no idea. I'll have to ask him, but uh, it is April Fool's Day. So uh, as the show unfolds this evening, we've got an interview coming up at 8.15 in the second segment. But after that, I want to hear from you about your favorite April Fool's prank. And uh, I know I've got mine, and I'm going to share some of those with you. And in fact, if you want to share something with me tonight, Two or three great ways you can do that. If we're not in the middle of an interview, you can certainly call us 314-436-7900. That's call or text. Or if you want to shoot me an email, you know, every time I fill in for Ryan, I get multiple emails from listeners. I always, always appreciate getting feedback. If you want to send me an email, my email address is beyoung, B-Y-O-U-N-G at harrisdowell.com, H-A-R-R-I-S as in Sam, D as in David, O-W-E-L-L. Always enjoy hearing from listeners. You know, Easter Easter's coming up on Sunday. And uh, again, after we finish some of our interviews in this hour, I want to hear about 
what are your Easter traditions? You know, we're going to be doing the traditional ham thing after church on Sunday. And uh, uh, my a friend of mine, a friend of mine always refers to ham as the meat of grief. Uh, because whenever she goes to funerals, people always bring ham. And uh, which I, I don't know why, but when she told me that, I'm like, you know, that's there. I, I never noticed that. But if you go to wakes and things, they always bring ham. So she refers to it as the meat of grief. And so I told her, well, if that were the case, you would have to serve ham on on Good Friday because that's when Jesus died. You wouldn't be serving it on Sunday when he rose again because there's no grief in that. So I'm not sure how that works for eating ham on, on Easter. But in any event, uh, I want to hear from you about some of your uh, Easter traditions as as the show unfolds this evening, I will tell you, talking about April Fool's Day pranks, I've got I've got a story here. Well, again, we'll go through that about some of the all-time classic April Fool's Day pranks. Uh, but I got to tell you, my favorite. My I didn't even do this. I wish I were this bright, but I'm not. Uh, it's my it's my cousin, and when he was living in the dorm for uh, in college. His RA in his dorm left his door unlocked on a few days before April Fool's Day. So he goes in and he buys a battery-operated doorbell. And he he takes his knife and he slices open the RA's mattress in the dorm. And he puts in this battery-operated doorbell. And then he sews it back up. And so then on April Fool's Day, every time he would walk by, he kept pushing that battery-operated doorbell. And so the doorbell would ring in this dude's mattress. Woke him up, and the guy was thinking that those were fire alarms, and then he was thinking that he was hearing things at night. And and so he did this for about a week after April Fool's Day until until I think he ran the battery out. <laughs> and, but I thought, what a class, because you never would find that, because he just sliced it at the seam of the mattress. So if the guy pulls his mattress apart, he's never going to find it. I just, I just, to this day, to this day, that's my favorite prank. And, uh, and it even lasted longer than April Fool's Day. It was like a week long enjoyment of pranksterhood. So, but if you've got a, a, a prank or a joke or something that you've pulled on folks on April Fool's Day, when we get into that today, tonight, I certainly want to hear from that. We've only got a couple of minutes here left, but uh, you know, G. Gordon Liddy died this week at age 90. And in, in the next minute, I'm just going to tell you two quick G. Gordon Liddy stories because that guy, talk about a character. I mean, that guy, whether you loved him, whether you hated him, he was truly a character. And uh, uh, and, and I just love this because the, the two stories, I read his, he read his biography years ago. And his kids swam on the swim team at their private school. So when they would show up for a swim team meets, they had special, the, the two brothers had specialty T-shirts made up that said White House Bugging Team on the T-shirts. And it would just freak out all the parents when they would show up at the swim meets because they were wearing T-shirts that said uh, White House Bugging Team. But my favorite story about Gigo and Letty is, uh, and I saw this interview, it was on uh, it was on ABC, and this was easily 20 years ago. And he's being interviewed on ABC. Don't even remember what he was being interviewed for. But as he's being interviewed, 
uh, what happens is, is that he's sitting in front of a wall of about 20 AR-15 semi-automatic rifles. There had to be at least 20, maybe 30. I mean, it was a whole wall of these AR-15s. And so the interviewer said, now, uh, Mr. Liddy, you, you are a convicted felon, aren't you? And he said, yes, sir, I am. And so the interviewer said, well, isn't it true that convicted felons are not able legally to own firearms? And G. Gordon Liddy said, that's absolutely true. You are exactly right. Felons cannot own weapons. And so the interviewer said, well, Mr. Liddy, you're sitting right here in front of a wall of AR-15, either automatic or semi-automatic weapons. How do you explain that? And without cracking a smile, G. Gordon Liddy said, well, all of those guns are owned by Mrs. Liddy. Every single one of them are owned by Mrs. Liddy. And uh, I don't know how he didn't laugh when he said that, but it was it, I, I laughed and I've never, ever forgotten it. Hey, we've got lots of other things to talk about this evening, but when we come back from the break, we're going to talk to Ray McCarty. He's the president and CEO of Associated Industries of Missouri, and I want to talk to him about the reopening our economy from a business perspective, not a not a politician's perspective, not a Dr. Fauci's perspective, not somebody who's never been involved with creating jobs. We're going to talk to Ray McCarty, and uh, because he is literally has his finger on the pulse of businesses in Missouri, we're going to talk to him about how our state can move forward now that the pandemic is starting to recede. Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker on Overnight America. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Don't just listen to the news. React to it. We are the voice of St. Louis. Everyone is welcome. Welcome back to Overnight America. Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker. Hey, thanks for staying up with us after the game. Uh, We're going to have all kinds of fun tonight, lots of issues uh, to talk about. And, you know, I kind of mentioned this before the break, but we only hear from politicians about what's necessary to jumpstart the economy. But I can't think of any politicians that have ever created jobs because politicians don't create jobs. Employers do. So what role, uh, you know, what role does industry have in terms of jumpstarting the economy? So, in order to get the perspective on that, I wanted to invite in Ray McCarty. He's the president and CEO uh, of Associated Industries of Missouri, and uh, which is actually Missouri's oldest general business trade association. Hey, Ray, welcome to KMOX. Hey, Brad. Thanks for having me. It's uh, Thanks for making time for us this evening. Uh, because, you know, as I mentioned, we just hear from politicians about what do we got to do to create all of these jobs and, uh, you know, it's kind of like going to a guy and saying, you know, what needs do women have? I mean, guys aren't going to know that. And so so in order to actually get the scoop on what we've got to do and what role, uh, uh, what role Associated Industries of Missouri can play in our state, I wanted to talk to you. What do you think we need to do right now uh, to get people back to work now that we're emerging from the pandemic? You know, the the thing, and, and thanks for having us on, we appreciate it. Um, you know, back when the pandemic first hit, we were we stood with uh, Governor Parson as he, uh, you know, initially shut everything down and we had essential businesses operating only. And, you know, we understood that at the time, it, it, that virus was something nobody had seen and we were being told, you know, how deadly it was. And so everyone was just trying to make sure everybody was protected. 
I think as time went on and we we become more comfortable with wearing masks and social distancing and things like that, businesses are finding their way back uh, in the areas that they've been allowed to reopen. Uh, here in Cole County in central Missouri, where I'm located, uh, we really didn't have any extra shutdowns. We had just the state shutdown, and that was it. Uh, so it didn't last very long. Um, and the governor, we think rightfully so, kind of left it up to local authorities because they are closer to the people to make decisions in their own areas. Mm-hmm. Part of that was because there are different needs in different parts of the state. Uh, unfortunately, what we saw is perhaps maybe some of those local officials, uh, you know, use this in a, in a little bit different way, and maybe they uh, weren't so sensitive to the needs of the business community, uh, but, you know, really erring on the side of protecting public health, which we all understand. Uh, but in the process of doing that, there were many different opinions on when businesses should reopen, what types of reopening uh, guidelines they should be under, and even um, here within just 30 miles in the city of Columbia, they treated it completely differently than we did here in the, in the city of Jefferson City. And of course, being the seat of government, we have people coming in from all over the state to sure. serve in our legislature. So, um, but we we were pretty much open the whole time. The restaurants did do um, some, you know, the restaurants were shut down longer, and they had to do some creative things with curbside service and all of that for a while. But um, they came back pretty quickly as well and had more limited seating. Uh, but it was they were still open, and in Columbia they they took it a little further. So. And I know in St. Louis area, they, they took it a lot further. Yeah, um, we'll so. get into that in just a moment. But overall, on a trajectory, we're, we're, on, we're on the upward slope right now, aren't we? We are. And, you know, the only thing really holding us back, I saw a very clever cartoon the other day where the uh, unemployment line was backed up, you know, to the street and the help wanted sign was right next to it. And there was <laughs> nobody in that line. I think that's part of our problem right now. Um, the federal government keeps coming in to help, and unfortunately, I think it's hurting a little bit because they're extending. They extended those uh, federal unemployment benefits, the the pandemic benefits, um, even longer. So now it's you know it's that much more of a disincentive to get people mm-hmm. back to work. And believe me, employers have a lot of jobs open right now. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, I represent employers in employment law situations across Missouri and even in Illinois, and I hear from employers all the time. In fact, I heard from some just today uh, that they're desperate for employees to come and work, uh, and yet they can't find employees that'll come because if you can stay home and, uh, you know, watch Oprah and get paid, it's kind of hard to get people to get them off the couch if they're getting paid to stay there. Well, and then you you have maybe the added expense of daycare and other things. By the time you factor all those things in, it does provide more of an incentive to stay on the couch. And um, I know of one one town in in, uh, central southern Missouri, I went there for an event, and I was talking with some of the employers there, and there were several major employers in that area that all had openings, and they didn't have a single application. Wow. And this is not a a super small town. so it, it's you know it's a sign of the times. I don't know how we're going to get out of this once people start getting used to entitlements. It's very mm-hmm. hard to take them away. Yeah. But I know the business community is trying their best to get back safely. Most businesses are are back and and running again um, in most areas of the state. Uh, the restaurant industry, the hospitality industry, took a big hit. Uh, travel, air travel, those those types of businesses will be a lot. Um, probably have a lot longer comeback than 
than others. But uh, we're starting to see some recovery, and I think if the maybe if the federal government would get out of the way a little bit, maybe we would uh, see it a little quicker. I yeah, don't. that's true in a lot of areas. We're, we're talking to Ray McCarty. He's the president and CEO of Associated Industries of Missouri. And, Ray, just this week, uh, Florida Governor DeSantis signed into law a COVID shield liability bill that essentially protects businesses from being sued due to alleged COVID exposure. You know, somebody shopping at Walmart, we've seen some big cases like, for example, in Illinois that have been filed uh, for where someone gets COVID. They allege they got it at a store or a retail facility. And of course, then they 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 get lawyered up and uh, and file a lawsuit. Do you think Missouri should follow Florida's example? Well, yes, and and thanks for that. Uh, We have been working on this since uh, summer, actually, uh, trying to get language that we believe we can pass. We've got a bill through the Senate now, and uh, it's in the House. And as will happen with most bills in the General Assembly, this is my 32nd year of of working with the General Assembly. This is the time of year when they start horse trading, right? So um, (laughs) they have uh, a a good Senate bill has made it out of the Senate. It's in the House. Uh, The House has their own ideas, but really I think it's more just, uh, you know, the typical politics this time of year, trying to see what's going to pass. Will the Senate pass some House bills? Will the House pass some Senate bills and and try to get it done? Now, we have a pretty strong COVID liability protection bill that we've crafted. Um, There are some, you know, it's not as strong as we would like, uh, but... But what essentially does it do, Ray? Let's, in case folks aren't familiar with it, what essentially uh, would this bill do for Missouri businesses? Sure. So there are several different parts. There's a part that protects healthcare providers that are providing healthcare uh, from being sued if they, and all of this is predicated on the the uh, requirement that the business owner or whoever the actor is is taking you know reasonable precautions, and uh, if they're not, then you know they may still be liable. But if they're taking reasonable precautions mm-hmm. and they're not um, acting outside of what normal people would think would be normal, um, then you know they're going to get some protection. They, second. Uh, part of it is for product liability. So people that are producing PPE, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a, a call from the governor the Sunday after the uh, the shutdown, and he said, look, we need to find some manufacturers to start making PPE. We, we know that these ships are coming in to the, the coasts, and the coasts are keeping all of the PPE. Sure. And so we need to try to find a way to generate it here in, in Missouri. And we got a bunch of manufacturers to change what they were doing. We had furniture manufacturers that were making gowns. Wow. Excellent. You know, it, it was great. And uh, they all jumped in and did that. But now they're concerned about liability. And uh, will someone who wore one of those pieces of PPE sue them? And so this bill would say that they wouldn't be sued unless they were grossly negligent. But and even, the, the, the but even on the, is, but hang on just a second, Ray, but even on back with the retail situation, we're going to have to take a break here in just a second. Sure. But uh, uh, back on the retail part, if a, if a company uh, is negligent uh, with regard to CDC guidelines, they're not going to get protection. In other words, this bill isn't going to protect sloppy businesses, is it? That's correct. And, you know, places like Walmart and, and places like that that have tried to take steps and they've, they've got social distancing uh, signs up and they tell you to wear a mask, you know, those, those are the types of things that can protect, protect an employer and should. Um, if someone is just, you know, has a blatant disregard for the health of people and, um, you know, they're not going to be protected with this bill. 
Got it. Hey, can you hang on through the break? Because I've got some more questions for you. Uh, because to me, this is fascinating. I would much rather hear from you, someone who's got your finger on the pulse of business and manufacturing in Missouri, far more than a politician sitting in Washington trying to tell us what to do. So if you can hang on through the break, we're talking to Ray McCarty, president and CEO of Associated Industries. And when we come back, we'll continue our discussion on getting Missourians back to work. Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker on Overnight America. We'll be right back. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Keep pace with the latest locally. Ask your smart speaker to play KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker tonight. And we are talking to Ray McCarty, president and CEO of Associated Industries of Missouri. If you've never heard of Associated Industries, uh, they are literally the oldest business trade association in Missouri. So you might want to check into them because they do a lot of great work. I know from personal experience, they do a lot of great work uh, literally all across Missouri. So, Ray, thanks for hanging with us through the break. Well, thank you very much, Brad. We appreciate it. You know, we we kind of touched on it before the break, but uh, 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 as far as the differences, some of the differences between mid-Missouri and, and St. Louis when it came to business closure procedures. And, and St. Louis County had, at least in my opinion, the most draconian business closure procedures in the state of Missouri. I mean, what impact do you believe this had on the St. Louis region compared to maybe other parts of Missouri that that just had far less restrictive lockdown procedures? You know, I think intuitively we know it had a huge impact. I know here just for the short time we were shut down, um, it's very difficult for a business. You know, you you plan your business based on being open and being able to sell things or uh, have customers come in and, and eat or, you know, it, you base your business plans around that. And uh, for many businesses, that wasn't an option because they were shut down. They weren't able to, to generate income. And so it, it, has been, it has been very tricky in those areas of the state that, you know, have had these extended lockdown orders. And, in fact, we've seen some legislative responses to that as well. We've seen some legislators that have come up with ideas uh, ranging from uh, just limiting the, the length of time that local governments can be shut down by uh, local officials uh, to even offering either exemptions for property taxes that otherwise would have been paid while they were shut down, um, or credit, you know, income tax credit for mm-hmm. property taxes that were 
that should have, uh, you know, that were paid, I guess, while they were shut down. That's just, you know, it, it seems illogical that you should tax a business, um, you know, on property taxes when you've told them they can't operate and, and make a living. It certainly, it certainly is contradictory, and and uh, uh, and I know that one of the bills that was uh, filed to limit, particularly uh, the county executive's ability to to institute these sort of uh, health and safety lockdown procedures on a long term basis. One of those bills didn't make it through the Senate this week, but I also know that there are several other bills moving. So I'm going to be keeping a close track on that. Uh, one, yes, I want to. I want to. Quite a few, actually. There were a bunch on the House side as well, and yep. those have made it over. So, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens these last six weeks of, of session. It will be, and we haven't seen the last of that, as you've pointed out. One of the questions that employers ask me on a regular basis. Again, all I do is represent employers. Uh, can I or should I? This is the question I get from a lot of employers. Can I or should I impose a vaccination requirement? on my workforce. Now, I'm not going to get into the legalities of it with you, but what do you think about in terms of employers in general? Is that a good idea? Do you think employers should require vaccinations or just encourage them? What are your thoughts on that, Ray? You know, I think, and and thank you for uh, defending employers. We appreciate it, and we appreciate your skill in that area. I mean, I really should be asking you that question, I guess, as to what they can do. Um, Most employers, I think, are very happy with recommending that their employees get vaccinated. There may be some industries where it becomes more important, maybe in the healthcare industry. I think some of those are, are a little more assertive about that with their employees. But for the most part, employers are going to be requesting that their employees get vaccinations or uh, letting it be completely up to them. Um, and I think maybe the trade-off is if they've had the vaccination, then maybe they don't have to wear the mask or, you know, maybe they have a, a little different uh, job role where they can be around uh, more people. Uh, but I think encouraging is the way to go from everybody that everybody that's looked at this that we've been able to find. We've had webinars on it as well. And I think that's the general consensus is that it's it's good to encourage, and the law is still not really clear. I don't think it is. You could tell me differently. Um, but I don't think the law is really super clear on what an employer can and cannot do because we haven't really seen a situation like this. No, we at least not in my lifetime. One of my law partners is in his 70s, and so I always ask him, you know, what was it like in uh, 1917 when we had the uh, uh, the Spanish flu pandemic in 1917? And in, you know, he throws something at me. So, uh, yeah. but no, but we haven't, we haven't, we haven't seen that. But one of the things we are seeing, and of course, we're talking to to uh, Ray McCarty, president and CEO of Associated Industries of Missouri. One of the things we are seeing here, Ray, which to me is outrageous, is the city earnings tax in the city of St. Louis. You know, St. Louis has announced that it's, uh, for some reason that boggles the mind, uh, that they're going to apply the earnings tax to workers who've been working from home during the past year. I mean, even though, and even if their home is outside of the city limits, uh, and a lawsuit has been filed uh, just this past week in federal court seeking class action status, and we'll certainly see how that works through uh, the court system. But what are your thoughts on on the city of St. Louis charging the one percent earnings tax on workers who were working from home during the pandemic? 
Well, you know, you set that up perfectly. It's just plain wrong, and I don't think they have the authority to do that. Um, our members, we have a, a 200-member tax committee made up of businesses all over the state, and a, a significant portion are in the St. Louis area, and, and another significant portion are in the Kansas City area. Kansas City handled this very differently. Kansas City uh, went on and allowed the refunds for the, the earnings taxes for people that were working from home that were not um, living within the city limits of Kansas City. Um, but St. Louis did the exact opposite, and we uh, we started early on with the collector's office asking them about it, you know, in, informally. Um, every indication we've always had from them is they had no in uh, no inclination to give any of that money back, and it's just wrong. I mean, the the earnings tax is supposed to be imposed on activities within the city. And so they, they get the non-residents on that when they come in and work at a place in the city um, that, you know, then is subject to the earnings tax. But when the mayor and other government officials are telling employees to work from home and encouraging them to work from home, and that home may not even be in the state of Missouri, maybe in Illinois, maybe in Kansas, mm-hmm. Um, it, but they're telling them to work from home. They're completely outside the city limits. That that money's not being earned there. There's absolutely no reason for the city of St. Louis to be able to impose their earnings tax on those on those uh, transactions and, and on that money. Um, of course, then it becomes a, a, a financial issue, and so they say, "Well, we need the money." Well, you know, we all need money. Um, but when it comes down to it, should you uh, be able to do something illegal to get that money? And I think most city officials would say, no, we don't endorse, you know, other types of crimes. So, uh, but I, I, we just, I really have looked at this a bunch of different ways, and there's no way under the city charter or under the authority that they've been given that they have the right to do that, uh, to tax money that's earned outside their borders. Yeah, so, this really makes me upset, Ray, for two reasons. You know, my law firm was it was downtown St. Louis. I was at 7th and Washington for 20 over 20 years. Uh, and so I paid my 1% earnings tax, never minded it because the the rationale, Ray, the concept was this that if you're even if you don't live in the city, if you're working in the city, you've got the you're using the roads in the city. You're utilizing the protection of the St. Louis Police Department. And of course today the question is, you know, does anybody really get protected by the St. Louis Police Department? But at least uh, ostensibly you do. You you right. get the protection of the fire department. You get the you get the benefits of the of the water and the sewage and all the things that go in the city. And so by working there and so I, I never minded paying that 1% earnings tax. But if I'm working from home, I'm not receiving any of those services. You know, if I'm working in Chesterfield or in South County or in St. Charles, I'm not being protected by the St. Louis Police Department. So the rationale to forcibly extract money from my wallet when I'm not even working in a city, to me, is basically legalized theft. And it's to me, it's outrageous that the city can take this position just because they, they're saying, well, you know what, we need the money. Well, you know, you're, you're exactly right, and we feel the same way. Uh, Senator Andrew Koenig has filed Senate Bill 604. Um, he, his committee, uh, uh, he's the chair of the Ways and Means Committee in the Senate side. They voted that bill out today. I know you mentioned the lawsuit that's been filed. Mark Milton uh, testified on the bill a week ago. Um, so that bill's kind of fast-tracked now, trying to get something done. It's just sad that they even have to try to take those types of steps. You would think the local officials would understand that, you know, what their limitations are, 
and try to live within their the the means of you know let's face it it wasn't a great year for anybody no. and certainly not for businesses um and the last thing that the employees and the businesses you know need is an extra tax that really isn't due well we you know we've been talking to Ray McCarty he's the president and CEO of Associated Industries of Missouri and Ray I just want to thank you for taking time out this evening to talk to us not like a politician uh, but talk to us as someone who's in the trenches with Missouri businesses trying to promote economic activity. And, and if folks want more information on Associated Industries of Missouri, how can they reach out to you? They can, they can go to our website at AIMO.com. AIMO.com will get you there. And uh, there's lots more information about us and who we are and, and some of the actions that we take. We generally represent businesses in the Missouri capital. Um, but we can help with, you know, problems with state agencies as well. So thanks, Brad, so much for having us on. We really appreciate it. Ray, great talking to you, and I'll check in with you uh, next time I'm on to see how things are going, but it's great to chat with you this evening. Same here. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Hey, when we come back, we've got some uh, some more news of the day, but I want to open up the phone lines because I kind of mentioned it before. Easter's coming up on Sunday. What are your Easter traditions? But, you know, it's April Fool's Day, so I want to hear from you about classic April Fool's pranks or jokes. If you've got some in mind, give us a call. 314-436-7900. Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker on Overnight America. We'll be right back. Overnight America with Ryan Recker is sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. Thanks for staying up late with us this evening. Uh, hey, in the next hour, we've got some some big ideas we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at some Supreme Court decisions dealing with free speech. I think that's one of the largest, most impactful issues that we have right now in our day and age uh, because our free speech is disappearing uh, You know, every day. There's more limits being placed on it. Uh, and to me, that's extremely troublesome. So we're going to talk about that. And uh, we've got some more interviews coming up. But you know what? Everything's not politics. Everything's not the law. Everything's not legal issues. Uh, and so we're going to talk about other things like classic April Fool's Day pranks. And, uh, you know, the other thing that occurred to me, because there's a lot in the news today about Johnson & Johnson. You know, they've got the one, they've got the one-shot vaccine. I mean, I had the... I had the Pfizer, had to get two of those. Of course, I had to drive down to Sykeston to get it because you couldn't get a shot around here. But uh, but the Johnson & Johnson is just the one dose. And I and I was thinking today, you know, what's next? What's next with Johnson & Johnson? I mean, they're going to come out with a three-in-one shampoo, conditioner, and vaccine. You know, you can just buy it at Sam's. You can wash your hair. It's got a. It's got the conditioner in it, and oh, by the way, uh, it's got the uh, messenger RNA built in to give you a vaccine. Maybe they can combine those product groups. I don't know. But you know, speaking of products, I read this today. I, I don't know if, what kind of phone you have. I have an iPhone. Uh, my kids have iPhones. But but users in the United States during the pandemic spent an average. They spent an average, and I say we. I mean collectively. We spent an average, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting emphasis on average, of $138 last year on downloaded apps. And maybe I'm just a cheapskate. 
Okay. I, I mean, I if I spent five bucks on apps last year, I would be shocked. Uh, if it's not a free app, I'm generally not interested. But $138 on apps? I mean, how much do you spend on apps when you download stuff from the App Store? I don't know how much you spend, but $138 spent seems to me like you know a lot, a lot of money on an app. Uh, and next year, the projections are, according to Apple, they're projecting in 2021 that folks are going to spend an average of $180 on apps from the App Store. And when I do look at those apps, and you do too, if it's a if it's 99 cents, I'm like, yeah, okay, maybe I'll buy it. But if it's 10 bucks, I'm like, no way, I'm not buying that, which is kind of crazy because I just bought Microsoft Office for my uh, office computer uh, not too long ago, and it was like $600. Of course, I didn't blink an eye at that, but if, if there's an app for 10 bucks, no, nah, I'm not buying it. That's too much money. So uh, I don't know how much money you spend on apps, but that is not anything close to what I spend, I can assure you. Uh, but two other things in the news that I just wanted to mention. One is, and I was when I was talking to Ray McCarty, we were discussing business closures across Missouri. And obviously, restaurants and the hospitality and the travel industry, those industries have been hit the hardest by far, along with gyms and other types of, uh, of similar type of uh, retail establishments. And last year, one of the most iconic restaurants in St. Louis, the Eat Right Diner, closed. It closed, uh, I think it was last March. And you may remember it. It got a lot of publicity because you've seen that Eat Right Diner and you've probably eaten there. It's just south of of, the, of Bush Stadium. And a, a lot of people say they only go there when they're intoxicated. But you know what? I've been there. I wasn't intoxicated. The food was great. Now, I will tell you the times I've been there, there were a few intoxicated people there. But I mean, it was everybody was having a good time. It wasn't a problem. Uh, and it was it's a fun, iconic Eat Right Diner. And it closed last year. But I did read that local chef Tim Egan has decided, it was just announced today, that he's taking that place over and is going to reopen it as a restaurant called Fleur STL at Eat Right. And I I, I am so going to go there. I want to support him, support that iconic restaurant. And he said that their, their menu will basically be the same as what you would expect, burgers, uh, biscuits and gravy, uh, Egan's own take on the Slinger, uh, but it's going to be all the food that you that you know and love from the Eat Right Diner. So uh, it's supposed to reopen, I believe, in April. So make sure that you check that out. I know that I'm going to. Uh, it looks like here it's going to reopen by the beginning of May. So that's when they're going to reopen, first week of May. Check it out. I'm going to. And uh, I hope you will as well. You know, the other kind of quirky story that I saw on the news this week, uh, and, and, and this is not politics, but I, I love it that the, that the Bidens have brought dogs into the White House. I've, I love dogs. I've always owned dogs. Dogs are great. I grew up hunting with dogs. Uh, I, I just love dogs. They're fantastic. And, you know, cats, eh, I mean, the only way I like a cat maybe is in a blender. But other than that, oh, sorry, Mike, can I say, I can't say that, can I say that on the radio? So, but dogs are fantastic. And and uh, uh, so the Bidens brought their dogs into the White House, which I thought was pretty darn cool. 
But, you know, Major, which is the name of the younger of the two dogs that, that the Bidens have, Major, you know, he's having a little trouble adjusting to the White House. And a few weeks ago, he uh, he bit somebody and they, they punishment. They didn't they sent him back to Delaware for some more doggy training. OK, so I, he, he had to get a little training uh, back in Delaware. So they brought him back this past week with great fanfare. And what happens? Like the second day he's back in the White House, what does he do? Well, he bites somebody else. And they're calling it a nip. But what's the difference between a nip and a bite? I think that's the difference between a nip and a bite is whether you own the dog. You know, if the dog bites you, it's a nip. But if he bites somebody else, it's a bite. That's the only distinction that I can see. But but looking at it with my attorney hat on, the first thing that I thought of is, and this is a classic legal doctrine that goes back hundreds of years, it's the classic dog bite rule. And you've heard this, that that the only way you have negligence if a dog bites someone is if you as the owner have been placed on notice that the dog has violent tendencies. So, for example, if you own a dog and it bites someone, that's the first time the dog has ever bitten anyone. You know, the old adage is that the first bite is free. They can't, people can't sue you for that because you didn't know that that dog was susceptible to biting someone. But the second bite, you might have negligence. You might have some liability for that. So that occurred to me yesterday when I heard about the Biden's dog, Major. Now that he's bitten someone for the second time, is someone going to be suing the president? Uh, can you sue the president if you're, if his dog bites you? And there's something, it's interesting, there's something called the Federal Tort Claims Act. And under the Federal Tort Claims Act, if someone is a government employee and they're acting in their uh, official capacity, they can't be sued for what they do. But I don't think that the Biden's dog is an official member of the United States government. So I don't think he has protection under the Federal Torts Claims Act. So I hope Biden gets some good legal advice. Hey, Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker this evening. We'll be back right after the break. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich, the step back three, you bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Yeah. 